Hi, I'm Grant Speed and this is the Interim Leader Podcast, brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's leading provider of interim management services. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, Tony Evans. He's the Joint Interim Chairman of the Institute of Interim Management. They're the UK's leading professional body for independent professionals operating at board or near board level. Tony's also an Interim Chief Executive and Managing Director, specialising in transformational change and turnaround, and he's got over 20 years' experience in senior leadership positions. Tony, welcome to the Interim Leader. Thank you very much indeed, Grant. Tony, can you start by talking us through what the Institute of Interim Management does? Uh, Yes, of course. Um, Initially, I think we start with, it's the only... um, specific member organisation for all professional interims uh, in the UK. Um, We have an independently accredited application system, so all our members are kite marked. We um, therefore have something which is helpful to the individual interim Mm -hmm. uh, when they go directly to clients. Um, We also have them sign up to uh, a code of conduct Uh, which describes their ethical and good governance processes that they would adopt as an interim practitioner. Mm -hmm. Uh, The IIM itself lobbies on behalf of its members and indeed the uh, industry at large, um, principally with government on relevant legislation. And we also help with the professional development of our members through the putting on of networking events, Um, and looking to do things which will help that professional development over an extended period of time. Okay, thank you. Tony, you've you've been in the interim management space for for, a reasonable length of time, and I I know that you were one of the almost co-founders on the IIM. How has the interim management uh, sector, industry, call it what you will, How's it changed over the last 20 years or so? Um, you're right. I have been doing this for quite a while now. Um, thank you for being kind on the, uh, the, the number of years. In terms of the sector itself, initially it was pretty much focused around the private sector and mm. clearly it's expanded way beyond that now. The public sector has grown dramatically mm-hmm. over the last um, 10 to 20 years. It also, of course, goes into the third sector now. Yes. And uh, I can tell you it's even got as far as the Anglican Church, which uh, adopts a process of interim ministry. Oh, interesting. And that's been around for a few years now. Uh, and I get involved occasionally going along to uh, workshops or conferences so they can compare and contrast what they do with um, the strange world of interim management. <laughs> um, the market itself, of course, has expanded Mm. massively Mm. Um, in the early days by the early days I mean the early mid 90s uh, if we had 2,000 professional interim practitioners in the country um, that would probably be an absolute maximum right today the best guesstimates are around 10,000 people probably and I think that that's a reasonable measure of the the magnitude of change the nature of the work has also changed in some measure, I think, so that if we go back to the or- the origins, it was much more about um, gap management, right? Uh, hence the name interim yes. management. Uh, today, that's not the case. 
and much more likely you're going to get involved in some form of serious change. I think that balance has shifted quite dramatically. Mm. Um, the other point, I guess, is uh, the sourcing process rate. So if I go back 20 years, right. you could get uh, a, a, an interim assignment in a few days. Today, achieving that rate is relatively rare. Is that because there's more interims operating, do you think? No, I think I think it's to do with the end client process. Right. Okay. So it's it's much more about um, how the end client is uh, has, appears at a practical level to to see the engagement. Hmm. It may be because uh, a lot of companies have put um, HR well into the process, so HR perhaps not surprisingly, sees it more like a recruitment process rather than a business-to-business transaction. Yes. So it's it's slowing down the process in terms of maybe from a compliance perspective or a due diligence perspective? Uh, I think that's uh, both of those are quite possible. Mm. Um, But the impact from the interim is that it takes a while to get there. Yeah, of course. Um, And certainly from personal experience at one stage, I know the public sector approach has been particularly slow because um, I, I was at one time personally asked it being looked at from a point of view of doing a national health trust um, and it had gone on for weeks and weeks and then suddenly something in the private sector came along and within a fortnight it had all been done dusted and off I went on assignment um, and I think that just showed the difference. Really. Yeah, I, th- I think, it, I mean, from my experience, it does vary individually. I mean, I, I know a lot of um, NHS trusts that, you know, are very quick in terms of the process and, mm-hmm. and so on. But, yeah, it can be the, one of the biggest frustrations, I'm sure, for interims and, and for all of us in the supplier community <laughs> that, that things can take so long sometimes to happen. I often wonder if that's because organisations haven't formulated their ideas correctly and, and have gone out to market potentially looking for an interim? It's possible. And I think also uh, looking at the processes internal, particularly to quite large organisations and maybe international. Yes. Um, often they are uh, structured and managed on a matrix basis. Right. So there are a lot more people potentially involved in the overall decision-making process that need to be acknowledged and taken account of before you get to the end result. Mm. Uh, whereas I suspect at one time of day it was somewhat more parochial in the way that the decision-making process was undertaken. Right. Does it feel lonelier being an interim now, even though there are more of you? That's a good question. No, I don't think so. I think as an individual interim, the work that you do generally is lonely in the sense that you are alone when you are doing it. When you're on assignment, there is a balance to be achieved between building a relationship with the people that you're working with, but you can't get too close because you have to have that independence of action and and thought. Mm. Even today, it's still quite rare for interims to go into a particular client as a team. Uh, So I have worked on a number of assignments historically where I've gone in, for example, with an interim CFO Um, you cover an amazingly large amount of ground compared to what you can do on your own. But, of course, it means that the upfront cost to the client 
is more significant. But if you can arrange it and do that uh, as a duo rather than just going in singly, the, um, the overall impact is much greater than the two individual contributions. That's really interesting, actually, yeah. and definitely something I think we're interested in doing as an organisation. Uh, I'd love to encourage it further. <laughs> um, okay, so look, we, we touched on the public and private <coughs> spaces a little bit there, and, and, and do you think they've developed differently? For, uh, and I'm asking you this as your experience in the IIM rather than personal experience mm. uh, over the last 20 years or so. I think they've certainly developed in at different paces. Um, one of the things that has happened, I think, uh, is that the concept of a freelancer as opposed to just an interim, an interim is a form of freelancer, Yes, has changed the way that an interim might be viewed. Mm. It's always quite difficult to make a, a, a certainly a legal distinction between somebody who is a senior interim practitioner and somebody who um, uh, might be regarded as a, a jobbing contractor or yes. something like yes. that. And certainly, if you look at the spectrum uh, of freelancers, you've got on the one hand pe- people like uh, Deliveroo and Uber, and at the other end, you've got people who are running multinationals for a period of time. That spectrum is nowadays somewhere between one and one and a half million people. Wow. And all described as the, rather unhelpfully, as the gig economy, you know, whether whether it's the professional gig economy or not or or so on. But, and I do think we have an issue as an industry or as a sector in our branding in that space. And I think that's totally valid. Mm. Uh, The Institute is certainly of the opinion that we need to be able to describe the distinction between a senior interim practitioner and uh, somebody who is operating as a freelancer in the so-called gig economy. The, the problem is, is that lots of people use the phrase interim in front of their job and that yeah. little title and that, that doesn't help at all. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> What's, um, so, so look, going back to you a little bit, and, and you've had you know, a, a, a very varied international interim career as well i mean you know you've worked in in parts of eastern europe um and 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 globally as an interim what have you seen within the sectors that you operate in as being you know the the changes i think in terms of um something that i mentioned earlier there has been definitely this this transition away from gap management yes into true change management yes and I'm describing that as a sec, as as a, an industry as a whole. Yes. Um, from my personal perspective, I, I don't do babysitting. Um, so right from the beginning, uh, every piece of work I've done has been transformative in some way because that's what was required. Uh, I think in terms of the demand for functions, I think that still sits fairly consistently over a period of time. So. Finance and HR, I think, are still primary functions that people are looking for. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then you've got program management or project management and procurement, ops, sales and marketing that kind of follow it. One of the things that I'm starting to see, I think now, is a possible trend, and I wouldn't put it any stronger than that, is that the original old designations of um, uh, sort of uh, sectors is starting to change. 
maybe disruptive technologies have something to do with it, but I'm just starting to pick up the notion of um, value chains. So I think and that I'm starting to see and hear that uh, funders or users are starting to look at that kind of long chain. So it would cut across the old notions of retail, uh, manufacturing, uh, mining, logistics, and so on. So you've actually got to have an understanding of a lot of those different aspects Potentially. of the value chain yes. to add value. Yes. Tony, you know the manufacturing industry particularly well. Um, and I think you're probably best placed to answer this one. Uh, and, and and it's a natural question to ask. How do you see Brexit, please get your crystal ball out, how do you see Brexit impacting the interim market in the UK? Uh, well, the first thing, to introduce an element of certainty, you can put a pound in the Lent charity box, we're using the word Brexit. In the, <laughs> um, investment is, a, is clearly a current issue. So I was just reading this morning that... Um, uh, sovereign wealth funds mm. in 2017 invested something like 21 billion, I think it was, dollars into into the UK. Mm. In 18, it was under two, which is, uh, for me, just telling me that there's uncertainty, therefore people with money are not going to risk it in the UK until they're clear how things are going to pan out. Mm. My view is that the, the UK doesn't become a basket case overnight. It's still one of the largest economies on the planet. So um, that will come back. When investment occurs, then I would expect to see a significant improvement in the uh, um, opportunity for interim work because it will imply a lot of change in a sh much shorter space of time. Yeah. yeah. Tellingly, I think, didn't the Norwegian sovereign fund invest in us only just very recently a significant amount of money? They did, because they are seeing um, the opportunity. Now, yes. I talked 17 versus and 18. Yes, of course. Now we're 19, 19 and, and people will maybe start saying, well, do you know what? The market's worth a punt now because um, the cost benefits look, look favourable. What do you think the impact globally on the, the the interim management market's going to be you know it's, it's from a status perspective i think whilst allegedly the interim market came out of uh, holland you know, the uk leads the way in the number of interims mm. you know, do, do you think that changes do you do you have much international interim um discussion uh well actually yes we do um the state of the interim management industry in the uk is quite reasonably, and we should be proud of this, world-class. Yes. There's, there's no two ways about that. We tend not to shout about it, which may arguably be typically British, but that's our situation. And um, the current machinations of the government uh, in various guises of regulation um, potentially jeopardise what we've got, which is a world-class industry. Mm. The Institute itself has a number of direct links with other international organisations across a, a range of countries, actually, including Italy, Spain, Germany, Netherlands, USA, Canada, 
Poland um, and even some Balkan and Nordic countries recently. In fact, even in China, we've right. had we've had connectivity. Mm. Um, so our industry here is seen as relatively mature, and therefore it invites itself to be a window, if you like, for other countries to see what their future might hold for their own interim market to develop mm. uh, and take the learnings from that. So we do get asked to, to be involved with organisations in these countries to, to help with that kind of approach. Do you have any plans to expand internationally? Well, we do have operations uh, linked to us in, in, in some of these countries. Mm. Um, and uh, we do get asked occasionally how we can support um, embryonic organisations in, in different countries to support them, to help them with whatever they need in terms of administration, things to do, things not to do, and so on. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you know, it's close <clears throat> to my own heart. I think we're, we're trying to build a global interim business with yeah. Odgers here. So yes, we will watch the space. <laughs> um, I, I want to bring it back now to some real solid advice that you okay. can give out. Okay? <laughs> because I think you know, you, you've been an interim for a long time. You know, as, as co-chair of the IIM, I think we can, you know, really get an insight into the advice that you would give somebody who's, you know, starting fresh now, you know, who's the next generation of interim mm. management. Okay. You know, what would you say to somebody thinking of doing it? Well, clearly as co-chair of the Institute, uh, my immediate response would be join the IIM. Um, but beyond that, and looking at the individual and how they might approach the market, I think the first the first thing is to really understand what your service offering is, uh, if you like, what is your brand, uh, and to spend time defining that to the point that you can do the um, uh, the personal uh, lift uh, motif that says uh, somebody says, "What do you do?" And by the time you get to the 10th floor, you've described it in a couple of sentences, assuming it's an American lift that goes at a great rate of knots. (laughs) So you need to be able to say, I I do this. Yes. Um, I think that's very important. The other thing is, well, other things include an adjustment of mindset. So you're coming out from being an employee. Stop being an employee. You are no longer an employee. You You are now a supplier. The mindset is, a, is different and you need to act accordingly. So you're no longer involved in going to interviews. You don't go to interviews, you go to a business meeting. Right. And the transaction is peer-to-peer. It is not father-child relationship, it's not parent-child. It's, it's very much peer-to-peer. And that's a very different mindset. So the psychology of the transaction needs to be understood and your behaviour needs to change. That, that's a really important point that I don't think gets talked about a lot, actually. That you, you are pitching rather than interviewing, I guess. Correct. Absolutely people. right. Yeah. And I think that this is, this is a crucial shift in the way that a professional interim practitioner needs to behave. Mm. Okay. Does that reflect in that time, because it must be very difficult to go from employee to effectively business owner. That, that's a transition that I'm sure is odd to do or to get used to when you first do an interim. Mm. You know, I'm sure you do it very, very well now and, and without thinking, but in the early days? You, you need to remind yourself mm. why you're there and what you're doing 
and what it is that you're selling. So it's back to this is my offering. Yes. Okay. Uh, and remembering that you're going to invoice, you're not going to expect uh, to be put on the payroll. Yes. That yeah, moot point maybe with IR35 coming along for the private sector, but sure. in principle, it's about uh, that shift. Um, so behaving, like you're saying, as, as a business, getting the terminology right is, is crucial in my opinion. Um, and then the next thing, of course, is to build your routes to market. Um, you need to understand how you, where are you going to get work from in the in the early days when you've got no uh, track record of interim work. You could have been a very senior corporate executive, perhaps a CEO of a billion pound plus turnover organisation with international reach. Um, you're starting again now. You're you're taking on something new. Hence why that elevator pitch is really important because you've got to yes. put it across. And I've always said the first interim assignment is often the most difficult. And I think that's fair. And that mm. was the case right at the beginning of the way the things worked in the early mid-90s, when effectively interim became of age, if you like. Yes. And uh, It's the same today. Yes. Uh, people new into the industry need to recognise that they, their existing network is where the first assignment is likely to come from. It's understanding that network as a business as opposed to an individual employee that becomes important again and then going back and actively pursuing people and looking for leads and so forth. Which doesn't come naturally to us in Britain, does it? You know, the, the American sort of psyche, <laughs> they will pick up the phone from somebody that we were at school with 30 years ago. But, <coughs> but in the UK, it's slightly different, I've always found. I think that's fair, generally, hmm. um, but then that gets us into uh, generic behavioural types of you know what kind of person becomes a sales or a marketing person and what type of person becomes a, an HR person or a finance person or whatever. Or an interim. Or Well, yeah. out of all of that, yes. then out of each of those pots come people who think interim's a great place to be. Yeah. So you've got to be able to network first or... or... I guess, maximise the relationships that you've had historically as a, as a channel to market? I think it's a reappreciation of what you've got. Yes. Okay. Reevaluate that and then start to work through it with that new uh, mindset. I think the, the, the other point here is as you move on, you've got to keep that network up to date. Mm. So you need to invent for yourself a way of doing that. Um, and then final point, I guess, for the, uh, the newbie, as it were, is know your value. How do you do that, though? Um, I think you've got to triangulate that by looking at things in two or three different ways. So the traditional way of doing it has been um, take what sort of salary you think somebody at that kind of level in an organisation would get and multiply it by 1.4. Right, uh, yeah which I'm not a big fan of personally, but that's his historic kind of recommendations as a starting point. The other thing I would uh, recommend is that it's important in the early days to look at yourself as a business, decide what level of turnover for your business you need to attract in a, in a typical year, assume that you're going to be working for six months, out of that year 
and then divide one by the other and determine what that means in terms of uh, income per day that you need and then work out you know that's that's the net and then work back to say what does that gross up to and, and so that tells you how much money you need to bring in and if you're assuming it's over 150 days actual uh, invoice time then it gives you an idea of what you're setting yourself as a minimum day rate so you could argue at one level uh, artificially potentially but that's that's your walk away rate <laughs> what i'm i get that what i'm getting from that is is this mindset uh, mindset shift again that we're, you're going from employee parent child yeah. relationship to yeah. this is my own business so in a sense what you're doing is creating a business plan this Correct. is my business plan uh, exactly this right. is my value yeah. worth this yeah. is what i will charge and taking about it so that's you that that that's your sales line yeah Okay. Now, what that does is tell you the amount. It doesn't tell you where you're going to get it from, um, but it gives you a starting point. The other approach, mm. uh, arguably, is a little more difficult because you don't have direct control of all the uh, immediate information, is uh, identifying what your value to a client would be. So it's, it's viewing your benefit so looking at you as an uh, as a as a cost or an investment ideally in the business uh, of the client and what kind of return on that investment do you reasonably expect to be able to give and and, and i think depending upon the function or the nature of the sort of role that you're you'd look for as an assi- in an assignment uh, you need to be able to take that sort of view and that would become part of your pitch that I'm, if I'm coming along to you as an end client and saying to you, I can give you a tenfold return on investment and I'm going to justify that in the following way, even if you're right at the beginning of your interim career, I'm sure you can look back in your CV and identify work that you have done which explains to the end client what will justify that kind of statement? I'm, I'm going to flip it slightly and I'm going to make the assumption that there are some clients listening to this podcast. Oh, um, right, okay. I'm not sure we've broken into the top 10 of iTunes yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure we might in time. Um, so so to, to flip it and say, okay, you're a client, what advice would you give to a client who's engaging an interim, perhaps for the first time? Okay. Um, I, in fairness, that's a question I've been asked before, mm. um, but I, I think it's absolutely crucial question. So the first thing I would suggest to any potential client is that they must be honest, both with the interim and with themselves. Uh, I mean, deeply honest about mm-hmm. what the situation is, why they're looking at interim as a solution to their current situation. Mm. Without that deep honesty, I think the relationship does not get built on a firm foundation. The second thing I would say is that I would very much, this won't come as a shock to you based on what I've said already, (laughs) see the interim not as an employee. They may carry accountability for the deliverables, but they are a partner at the end of the day. So I think linked to that is please understand that you're engaging with a highly skilled uh, player, uh, whatever they, they, they're offering as a service and, and that you need. Looking at the 
establishing of the the relationship then i would say please look carefully at how you contract both in terms of the legal contract the agreement put in place but also think about the psychological contract um, and make sure that you and the relevant parties involved which is the interim and potentially of course the provider are all clear about the assignment scope uh, and the mode of operation right. so what's written down on a piece of paper is what happens in practice and how it happens in practice um, I would also say please expect an element of disruption what you're doing is paying for a service which I've used as a, an, an analogy before is like the grit in the oyster that generates the pearl and if, if you're not expecting that from the interim, firstly, I think you'll get a surprise because it will happen. But secondly, if you're not expecting it, you may find it unnecessarily uncomfortable. That's a very sensible analogy, I think. Also, coupled with that, please expect apolitical behaviour. Uh, and a senior interim practitioner is perfectly understands politics, but by doing what they do have decided they don't want to be an internal person who has to get involved with playing the uh, organisational politics. And a significant benefit to you, the end client, <clears throat> is that you're engaging somebody who is apolitical. I mean, say they don't understand what's going on around here, <clears throat> but they have the opportunity and the benefit to you is they'll ignore it. Or they'll listen to it, take account of it, and still do what they need to do. So it's not prejudiced by that, whatever they, they're doing. I'd also say use that resource as a sounding board while you have the opportunity, while they're there. To, to take that knowledge, <coughs> to build that legacy yeah. and so on. Yeah, don't feel constrained by the statement of work or whatever you want to call it. Yes. Yeah. But in the sort of work I do, it, it's generally vague uh, in the sense that somebody says, fix the business. Uh, which is all-encompassing at the end of the day, but part of that can be um, yeah. having using me as a sounding board for things which may or may not be immediately relevant to the task in hand. Mm. And I guess a final point I would make to the end client is when the formal assignment is over and completed, just remember the interim doesn't actually die generally at the end of the assignment. So there is a sensible opportunity to maintain that relationship because the interim will have done things significantly differently and changed the way the organisation is now operating in some way, shape or form and has a pretty clear understanding of how that should continue to develop going forward. So using them post-assignment in some way to keep track or test out how things are going. Is it staying on track? Is it drifting? Is it needing to evolve because there are new sets of circumstances coming in? That opportunity exists. Don't assume the individual dies at the end of the assignment. Uh, really interesting points and really wise advice. Um, Tony, can you just tell us a bit, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about being an interim or joining the Institute, mm. uh, how should they do that? Um, they can contact me through the Institute, so the best thing to do is drop me an email, mm -hmm. uh, which I can uh, describe now, which is tony.evans at iim.org.uk. Perfect. Um, and I'll do my best. 
Perfect. And, and anybody willing to, you know, or keen goes to the website and they'll find out much more about it. Yeah. Yes, there's plenty there. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Tony, thank you so much for coming in today and, and, and giving us your opinions and views of what's going on. It's enormously valued. It's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you very much indeed for the opportunity. Can I just finish off with, with, with something I wanted to, to, yeah. to say at the end? I know that, it, that Odger's interim have now been operating for 20 years this year. Yes, we have. And I wanted to be able to say, both on behalf of the Institute uh, and, and myself, uh, a hearty congratulations to you and all your colleagues here at Odger's interim. Uh, 20 years is a, a good milestone. Uh, it shows a test of time. It's clear you've got something very right here. The business has continued to grow and develop throughout that time. And we wish you continued success in the development and growth of your, of your company. That's enormously kind. Thank you very much. And I, I, you know, we're, we're very proud to play a part in this industry. Um, it's our 20th year and in the coming weeks we will have placed uh, our 4,000th interim over that period of time fantastic we won't be anybody without the interims that we've got so thank you very much that's super kind of you Uh, we will be celebrating uh, later on this year and I'm sure you'll you'll come and join us Um, listen to those of you who have joined us thank you very much for listening and goodbye